From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. We're getting ready for the 2020 census, and as you know, it's embroiled in controversy because the Trump administration wants to add a citizenship question. You would have to answer whether or not you are a U.S. citizen. A number of people are worried about that, including Robert Chang, who is executive director of the Korematsu Center and a professor of law, and Sharon Sakamoto, who, along with her two sisters, spent World War II incarcerated in the Minidoka concentration camp in Idaho when President Roosevelt decided that Japanese-Americans, who were citizens, uh, could not be allowed to fraternize with the rest of the American public. So, uh, Robert, you have filed an amicus brief on this case based on on what grounds? Census information is supposed to be anonymized, right? So it can't be traced back to the person who answers. So why would it be wrong to ask a citizenship question? So in theory, uh, the, the information is anonymized, and there are certain protections, but we've seen in the past uh, that those protections uh, have not held up. Specifically during World War II, uh, the census provided information that facilitated the rounding up of Japanese Americans. Given the, the current political climate, asking the citizenship question under these circumstances uh, is, is very troubling. So how was it used in World War II? Wh- which question did they use to identify where Japanese Americans lived, since they're already citizens? So uh, the census uh, kept track of where Japanese Americans lived by neighborhood. And in addition to counting or figuring out where Japanese Americans lived, part of the information uh, that was crucial uh, and that was used by the the military and by the U.S. government was uh, the large number of Japanese Americans who were not citizens. Now, part of the problem with that is that Japanese Americans who immigrated to the United States could not become U.S. citizens. Uh, because of a 1922 uh, case, Ozawa versus uh, the United States. And so uh, the issue of citizenship is is one that is deeply concerning to members of the Japanese-American community. Sharon, you were actually born at the Minidoka camp? I was, Dave. This, yes. is in, uh, uh, this was in Idaho? Yes. Right. Yes. But you were first taken to the Piaup Fairgrounds, I believe, Correct. right? And Correct. So when when did you become aware of the significance of your birthplace. I was the only one not born in Seattle Mm -hmm. uh, of my family. I'm the youngest. And um, all through my years growing up, um, I was a little isolated from my family in the sense of people would talk about before the war and after the war. Most of my siblings remembered before the war, and um, I couldn't. I wanted to and um, used to tell them, oh, I remember before the war, but I was very aware that I was born in Idaho and my siblings were born in Seattle. How did this affect the family? I think there was great effect, but unspoken. Um, I I think um, my parents wanted very much for us to love our country and be really good American citizens and really didn't speak much about the harm it may have caused them. Um, Mm -hmm. And we spoke very little of that aspect of having been in camp. 
um, and the hardship that it caused not only ourselves, our, our family, but all of our community and um, even our extended family. So I think we just didn't speak about the negative parts of that, that experience. So in growing up, you held no, were you angry growing up? Angry at, at, at America or angry at Roosevelt or angry at anybody? Personally? Yeah. I think it was not anger as much as recognition of the great unfairness. Great unfairness. Yeah. So you have joined this uh, this case. Absolutely. Right? And so tell me why. why. Why go to all the trouble? Because since that time, I have... Um, become aware, very aware of the breach of confidentiality by the Census Bureau in identifying and locating people of my background and community who uh, were then placed in these camps, uh, first Puyallup or the horse tracks and then into the more inward camps, um, and know that um, there was that breach, that clear breach. It's admitted by the Census Bureau, admitted by General DeWitt, and um, and that was wrong. It was wrong in the sense that census information is proclaimed to be never harmful because it, the purpose of the census is really to count the numbers of people so they can be represented rightly and um, the monies of our government can be allocated rightly. So to affect that count is, is wrong. And then to use that count for purposes other than that is a breach. So you still don't trust them? I want to be watchful. Mm -hmm. I think our government has to be accountable. Yeah, it, it, after all, it's government of the people, by the people, for the people, and they need to be accountable to us. We are the government. Robert, they um, they already ask ethnicity, race and ethnicity questions on the on the census forms, which uh, is there because there are many programs that depend on uh, assessing the disparate impact on people of different races and ethnicities in the country. How is that different from asking citizenship or, or, or just as, as dangerous as asking citizenship? So uh, the real concern uh, in terms of asking citizenship is how the information is going to be used. Why does the government need the information about who is a citizen and who is not a citizen? Uh, we were told by Wilbur Ross, the uh, secretary of the Commerce. Department of Commerce, that it was the Department of Justice who asked them to include a citizenship question so that they could uh, better enforce the Voting Rights Act to prevent discrimination. Uh, but we learn uh, later that uh, it really came from his office. Uh, he's the one who asked the Department of Justice for this information. And so the question then is, why does the government need uh, this granular information about citizenship and one of the most important things uh, that happens after the decennial census is that state legislatures decide how to create each legislative district. Uh, this information becomes a tool that would actually be used to change the way that representation works. And also, as uh, Sharon uh, said, 
it's going to change the way that funding operates. So do we change the way that we fund our roads, fund our schools based on this information? And the concern is uh, that if the reason offered uh, is not the actual one, it seems to be pretextual, and that's precisely what two judges found after trials. And so in California and in Maryland, so if it's pretext, uh, there's a real concern here about uh, the trust uh, that we really need <clears throat> to keep in the census. You're thinking that the actual agenda here is someday to round people up by sending out buses to pick up people in areas that don't have that have a high number of people who are not citizens. No, uh, that's not what I think the the current motivation is. It's a concern in terms of changing the way that uh, political power exists in this country. If it changes, uh, for example, the way that states determine representation, it's hmm. it's it's about the electoral. I thought map. districts were were drawn based on number of people, not the number of citizens. There was a recent case, uh, Evanwell versus Abbott, uh, that went to the U.S. Supreme Court. And there were uh, individuals who claimed that only voting eligible, so the voting eligible population should be the basis for districting. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the U.S. Supreme Court said that that's not required, but state legislatures actually have the ability to change how they count. And this is precisely then why this information might be being sought. So Uh, So each state could decide for itself how to count people in a district. And they could they could decide that if you're not a citizen, you don't count towards the population requirements of a district? So my understanding is that the U.S. Supreme Court left it as an open question. So essentially, if a state decided to use this, they would end up undercounting, and they get fewer representatives in Congress. Why would they do that? Well, uh, it depends on what state you're talking about. And so states that have large non-citizen populations are the mm-hmm. ones that would be hurt states that have very low numbers of non-citizen populations, all of a sudden their political power would uh, become greater. In other words, the blue states, we presume, would be hurt, but they also would be the states that wouldn't do this. They, they wouldn't say we're going to stop non-citizens from being counted because obviously they'd lose representation. Presumably it would be the red states who would do this uh, or you know, who would want the blue states to do this but would have no power to force them to do that. What we, what we find is that with changing immigration patterns, uh, you have certain portions of red states turning purple or, mm-hmm. in some instances, blue. So if a red state uh, where the control of the legislature is among those who would want to decrease the political power of urban areas uh, that have ah. larger uh, non-citizen populations. This would be in-state elections where this could manifest itself. Right? Sure, and then, but it, it has repercussions uh, nationally. Mm. All right. So, has the uh, what's been the the federal government's counter argument to yours? One of the primary uh, arguments that the the Department of Justice has put forward uh, is that this is simply within the discretion of the Department of Commerce. So, if the Secretary Wilbur Ross says, "I want to have this question," mm-hmm. uh, that it's not something that the courts can even question. And so it's, it's sort of this, this posture that's been taking place within the last couple of years. The Department of Justice uh, is taking a position that judges really should have no say. And what you have, though, is that you have a number of states, you have a number of individuals who are saying, this is exactly why we need the courts uh, to be involved. 
this is the, the system uh, that we, we've created in terms of checks and balances, and that the arguments that the Department of Justice is putting forward, they're really, really dangerous. You know, they're, they're saying things like, you can't even uh, ask uh, Wilbur Ross what he was thinking. You can't question his motives. Uh, they're saying that you can't question the Department of Justice attorney, John Gore, who uh, directed the letter to be sent to Wilbur Ross, that you can't even ask about their intentions. And uh, to me, that's, that's a very frightening prospect uh, to say that we can't ask our government officials, well, what were you thinking? What led you to make this decision? Uh, they're saying that you can only uh, limit uh, the review, so the courts can only look at what's officially in the administrative record and can't even ask them in depositions, you know, well, what were you thinking? What, what, what were the emails that you got? Who did you communicate with? And to me, that's, that's, uh, it's, the, it's the danger of tyranny. Hmm. Couldn't somebody just lie? Say, yeah, I'm a citizen. It's anonymous. So just say, yeah, I'm a citizen. Or at least, I know, I feel like a citizen, so yeah, I'll check citizen. Certainly people can lie on the census, uh, although uh, you're supposed to tell the truth. I, th- I think that if somebody were caught in a lie, they could actually be prosecuted, and so there is that danger there. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, but in theory... And they, they can't even audit the tax returns, so I, I don't imagine they're going to send out census investigators, right? They're just happy to have you fill it out. Well, I wonder sometimes about who would be investigated. Uh, they do have limited investigative resources, and uh, it would be interesting to see who actually is, is investigated. It's like the, what kinds of investigations are going on about voter fraud. Who, who are they asking about for that? You're also arguing, I believe, that just having the question on there would uh, discourage people from filling it out at all, correct? Yes, uh, that is a concern, and that's actually... Part of the basis that uh, two of the judges uh, found it to be a violation of the the constitutional enumeration clause, uh, that because it's going to result in more people uh, not answering. And so part of the concern also is with households, households that have mixed-status families. Uh, So even if you have citizens within a household, you may have entire households uh, not participating because of fear. And this fear or concern actually has been expressed and is part of the, the census records when they do some testing. So they, they field test the census questions in certain communities. Sharon, do you think this would discourage people from filling out the census form? Well, I think we have to look at our history, which is a misuse of census data, specifically in the Japanese-American incarceration, the entire effort was was based on a misuse of census data that has been admitted and recognized by not only the Bureau, but General DeWitt himself. So there was pretext getting there, pretext that wasn't uncovered until 40 years later in the Coram Nobis cases, Korematsu and Yasui and Hirabashi specifically. Um, so yes, I think it's this public trust that is going to deeply be affected by adding the citizenship question. It has not been on the census um, questionnaire for, I think, over 50 years. And all of a sudden, in de- kind of in defiance of the Administrative um, Protection Act or the act under which Secretary Ross could have acted, um, he did not. And... Um, they bring this up kind of out of thin air, um, unexpectedly, 
and expect that people are going to trust that effort, I, I think it's a matter of public trust. So definitely it would affect the count. I, I, I mean, it even affects the count as far as I'm concerned. I, I have to you, think about it. You would not want to feel this. I, I have to think about it. What, what are the implications? Why is this being done? And for what purpose? It, it's not a census purpose. It doesn't appear to be a census purpose. So the most extreme example of the breach of trust and confidentiality <clears throat> that took place during World War II was that the names and addresses of 90-some-odd Japanese-Americans living in the Washington, D.C. area were provided based on information that was gleaned from the census, uh, and it was given to government officials. And it was made possible because even though prior to that there were laws regarding confidentiality uh, and the census, uh, the Second War Powers Act during World War II permitted and authorized uh, the information to be to be obtained from the census, notwithstanding those prior guarantees. So uh, the people who filled out the forms back then had also been promised it would be anonymous, but that was apparently overruled pretty easily. And, you know, so it's, it's interesting. So each president, uh, before they do the census, they do an executive uh, or presidential uh, proclamation about the census. And each of them uh, tells the individuals that they will not be harmed by the information that they provide. It's, it's a guarantee mm -hmm. that each president has given. I'm curious what the presidential proclamation from uh, the current uh, president will be uh, preceding uh, this census uh, and whether the same guarantee will be worded in the same way that Actually, everybody, every president except for Nixon, Nixon actually uh, changed the language. The, the language had been pretty consistent for decades, mm -hmm. uh, but I wonder uh, what language will be used by uh, our current president. Well, I, I would note, though, it did take a world war for them to overrule the guarantee, right? Presumably, we wouldn't be faced with a situation like that again. We seem to be in a perpetual war, and that's the concern uh, in terms of the war on terror. So you think that could, in fact, be used as justification to do it again, huh? Well, there's a real danger in terms of the way that national security gets invoked. So when uh, a president acts based on national security, uh, all of a sudden, uh, in terms of the role that the courts are supposed to, to play, uh, the deference that is supposed to be given, that's, there's, there's a real danger uh, to me uh, if the courts continue... Uh, well, if they step aside, as, as I think uh, the U.S. Supreme Court said uh, they ought to do in Trump versus Hawaii. So you really do have a concern that, the, that national security could be invoked again to strip the anonymity from this kind of information. Yes, that is a concern. Robert Chang is executive director of the Korematsu Center and professor of law and is participating in the amicus brief on this census case and Sharon Sakamoto was born in Camp Minidoka. Nice to meet you both. Thank you very much. Thank you. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News, you can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe, and then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.